Hey, good morning, church. First heard that song from Bethel's watching the music video, and first time I heard that song, I thought to myself, this is going to be one I'm going to sing for years. I love it. And then we opened up this worship service singing a song, Our God is Alive, that many of you have been singing for years, right? If you grew up in Churches of Christ, that was our anthem. That was our secret password to get into any kind of Church of Christ group, all right? Our God is Alive, 728B is what it was in many of our song books. It's, uh, it's great being with you. I don't know about you, but have firework shows begun in your neighborhood yet? Because they have in mine. Uh, we first moved into the Binghamton community seven years ago this week, which is, you know, we're moving into this, this neighborhood and then... Uh, it's not the week to move into some neighborhoods in Memphis, all right? It was like a war zone. Our dog freaks out every July 4th week, but we have so much to be grateful for in this nation. I hope this week causes you to remember and to reflect and to give thanks and to, and to pray that we will continue to live into what God wants us to be. Uh, I want to welcome everyone here. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. There are those who are joining us on live stream all over this the United States, some who join us all over the world, so we want to welcome those who are here and also want to welcome all the guests who are with us today. Thank you for being with us. We are an imperfect church, just striving to know a perfect God to the best of our ability. I'm so grateful for the leadership of this church. I don't know if you realize this, but we have a church where over half of our ministry staff have been here over 10 years. You would be hard-pressed to find a church where over half of their paid ministry staff has been at that church over a decade and where 100% of the full-time support staff have been here 15 years and beyond with Kathy McCoy being here over 30. She started working here when she was six, all right? Um, And when we came to this church, we worked with this eldership that I've seen these men I've seen them in public settings. I've seen them in private settings, crying out to God for the formation of God and the life of his people of this church, crying out to God for souls to be saved. I've seen them in public and private settings, taking care of people, digging deep into the word, wrestling with God, wanting to lead and steward the vision and mission of this church to the best of their ability. We're all imperfect people striving to know a perfect God. I want to thank the elders of this church for who you are. I want to thank this church for joining in a journey that God has us on here. I want this church to succeed and to be all that God wants us to be. I want every church throughout Memphis and Shelby County to be all that God wants us to be for the sake of his name, that the kingdom will come right here in this place and around us just as it is in heaven. Amen. Um, We're in a series. This is the second week of a series I call Bible Tweets. And some of you may not be on Twitter and that doesn't connect with you, but what were my other options, right? Like to call it Bible postcards because some of you have no clue what postcards are anymore. <laughs> but there are five books in the Bible that are only one chapter each. Last week we studied the book of Obadiah and the other four are in the New Testament. And I wanted to take a week where I just unpack each one of these because I believe in the whole counsel of Scripture. I believe in all the books of the Bible being inspired by God. It doesn't mean we have to, like every book's gonna be your favorite, but I believe in these small little books. There's great power that was spoken to the church and for the church. So today we're going to be in a little book called Philemon. So go ahead and start trying to find that in your Bible. Um, there, there are, it's true, even today, 
that all it takes is a word or a phrase to build up someone's heart or life, and all it takes is a word or a phrase to tear someone down, right? I mean, all it takes, it doesn't take much. There's power in just a few words. And I bet some of you are in this room today, and you can remember something a parent or a guardian or a teacher, something someone said to you, it's just a word or a phrase, and it disrupted your heart. It tore you down, and you're still trying to recover from that word or that phrase, and some of you can probably remember those who encouraged you with a simple word or phrase. It changed your life. It helped you know who you are in God. It set you on the path you're on today. Sometimes that's all it takes. And I know for me, there are times where there's an emotion building up in me. And it's like I come to a red light and instead of stopping and keeping it in check, I just go straight through the red light. You hit send on something that goes on social media. You hit send on a text message and you know you end up regretting it. A little word or phrase, something short can tear down, something short can build up. Philemon something really short, and it's meant to build up not just a person, but to build up the church. It's a book about freedom. Today, as you heard earlier, we have a lot of people who are going to a church camp later on tonight, and not just some of our students, those who've graduated or finished second grade all the way through high schoolers, but many of you take a week of vacation to go and serve at this camp. So I want to ask even the guests, even people who may not be familiar with Sycamore View at all, will you commit to praying over those who are at camp this week? Because the way we pray may press back the powers of darkness to allow a heart to open up to what God wants to do in someone. So will you be praying over those, even if you don't know their names, praying for the kingdom of God to come in lives this week at camp? I grew up going to church camp and God taught me a lot about his grace and his mercy and his truth at camp. There was one year, my freshman year of church camp, I remember our, our teacher was leading us through that, um, the metaphor, the illustration of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It's like God's gift to every preacher and teacher, right? It's like, hey, you know, this whole lion and lamb metaphor, you're going to have to work on that one a little bit. But the caterpillar, the butterfly, he's just like teeing it up, you know? So our teacher was leading all these freshmen through this whole thing about how the old life is gone when you surrender your life and confess your life and you're baptized into Jesus and you become a brand new person. So in order to do this, he brought up a volunteer in front of all of us. It was this girl in our group and she raised her hand to volunteer and, and he said, here's what we need. We need a few of you who can take some toilet paper and we just want you to wrap her up. We want her to be able to breathe. So leave a little space around her mouth or nose, but we want you to cup her so she becomes like this caterpillar in a cocoon. So we did it and we had a blast doing it. It wasn't just one toilet paper roll either. We had a bunch of them. She was like a standing mummy by the time we finished with her. And then he said, okay, everybody sit down except the girl. And she stood there. And then he walks through the gospel for all of us. What God has done for us, what Jesus has done for us. How the old is gone. Your past is gone. You become a brand new person. And after walking us through the gospel where we were hearing the good news, he looked at this girl and he said, okay, now whenever you're ready, we want you to come out, break yourself out. And we want you to act like you're a new creation. And the girl didn't move. She started to cry. So she's crying and her cries turned into a sob. I'm not exaggerating, all right? Like you could see shoulders bouncing underneath all this toilet paper. And then we have a dilemma of what, do we just, like is she fake crying or do we need to help her? So then without even like thinking through how we're making a lesson out of this, we end up going over and like we're tearing the toilet paper off of her so that she could become new. And we didn't know that her parents had just divorced. 
and how she was carrying a lot of the blame and the shame from that. And then it's become this metaphor that I look back on quite a bit in my own life of this is what it means to be the church. Then when there are people who are struggling to break off, off of their past, to live a new life, we're the church that's called to surrender, to surround people and to claw their way into learning what it means to be free in Jesus, right? So today, after, this, after my message, we have tables set up, and we, we have tables every week, but sometimes there's a very specific thing we send you to tables for. And on each of those tables, there's a little, uh, a little sign, and it says, I am no longer a slave to, and you are asked to fill in the blank. And here in just a little while, as we sing a few songs, we're going to encourage you to go to one of those tables and write out a form of freedom. It may be how God is setting you free, and maybe how God is asking you to help set someone else free. In the book of Philemon, there are three characters that you need to know, and I want to walk through each one of them to help you understand what this book is. And I want you to, I I hope you trust me as a preacher that I'm not just standing up here to toss anything in front of you. Whatever I'm bringing, I want it to be the truth of God, and I want it to be relevant for your life. I want it not just to be something you go home from on Sunday and be like, man, that's a really cool place in Scripture, but something that you can say, okay, Dad is calling me to be a certain kind of disciple on Monday as you live with your family and you engage work and you go about your life. Philemon, to begin with, let's, let's start with the Apostle Paul. And here's what we know about Paul as an apostle, as a disciple, as an author who wrote Philemon. You know that Paul was a persecutor of the church. And sometimes we think that Paul was an atheist and he didn't love God. Paul was not an atheist. Paul had a deep love for God. The thing was Paul was a legalist and Paul could not grasp uh, uh, God functioning outside of the God of the Jewish nation and God of Israel and the God of the Old Testament. So he's persecuting the church because he's not getting this new thing that God is doing. So he's, he's a believer in God. Secondly, you know that Paul had this amazing conversion experience in Acts chapter 9. You can go home and read it later. Where the light of God came upon him and it was a forceful light. Sent Paul down to his knees. The thing I love about Paul's baptism. After three days of going without food and without drink, Paul surrenders his life to Jesus and he's baptized. And at his baptism, it says something like scales fell from his eyes. That Paul knew, God knew, that to change Paul and to use Paul how God wanted to use Paul, Paul, God had to go for, pardon the pun, but Paul, God had to go for Saul. He had to change the way Saul saw the world. He had to go for his eyes. He had to change the way he saw because Paul saw the world as the Jews were in and Gentiles were out, and God needed him to see the world differently. God, God went straight from his eyes. I believe today when people surrender their life to Jesus and they're baptized, it may not be physical skills, but there's something that God is wanting to rip from the eyes of our hearts, from the eyes of our eyes, so we see the world the way God sees the world. You know in Paul, He was sent to the Gentiles. So even though he was a Jew and he got along with Jews and those were his people, the mission God had Paul on was to go and to proclaim the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. When Paul wrote the book of Philemon in chapter one, verse one, here's how Paul decided to describe himself. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. There are a lot of words he could have thrown in there. He could have said Paul, an apostle. Paul, one who had this God 
ordained, anointed experience in Acts chapter 9. There are a lot of things he could have said, but he chose to go the route of talking about being a prisoner. Now, Paul most likely wrote this letter from a place of prison, which is where Paul wrote a lot of his stuff. But here it's not just being any kind of prisoner. It's I'm a prisoner of Jesus. That Paul is saying, I'm taking the lowest place and fully surrendering to the one who is at the highest place. So that can be used by this one. And the last thing I want you to know as Paul writes his book to Philemon is this. He had every right to speak to Philemon with the authority of an apostle. But instead, Paul wrote this letter and he appeals on the basis of friendship. So he's going to talk to Philemon. He had every right to say, man, I am an apostle of God. Like God has called me to be apostle, an ambassador, a great leader. And this is why I need you to do something. But he didn't take that route. He says, look, hey, I'm, I'm appealing to you on the basis of friendship. And because of this friendship, there's something I need you to do. So here's how Paul writes to Philemon. When he addresses him, he says this, to Philemon, our dear friend and our fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow, fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. So he speaks to a few people. And we don't know if Aphia, we don't know if this is just a, a woman in the church, a leader in the church, or maybe she's the wife of Philemon. We aren't really sure. We're not really sure who Archippus is. We don't know who all makes up this church. But then he turns his focus and Paul is speaking a specific word to Philemon. To Philemon, our dear friend and our fellow worker. Here's what you need to know about Philemon. Philemon was wealthy. This was his house where this house church met. So house churches would probably consist of a minimum of maybe 15 people and maybe as many as 40 people. So for anyone to be the host of a house church, you probably had a big house. He's wealthy. He's also a Gentile Christian, meaning he's probably fairly new in the faith. So he didn't grow up as a Jew or he knew the story of God. So he's now just maybe just recently been learning about who God is. And Paul writes to him and Paul spends four verses affirming Philemon's character and his faith. Listen, Philemon in verse four, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love. I hear about your faith for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement. And because you, brother, you have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Now, maybe Paul saying, he spends four verses, like affirming who he is to set up a big request for him. Have you ever had someone do this in your life? There are times my kids come up to me and they're like, dad, we just want you to know, man, you're like the best dad in the world. I'm like, true. No, that's so kind. Th thank you. That means a lot. Dad, we just want you to know when we become a dad, we want to be a dad just like you. Guys, that's, that means so much to me. Thank you. Dad, you you are the second best father in the world. God's the best, but you're the second best, all right? And then it's like, what do you want, guys? Like, what do you, like, what, what do you want? You know, and they're like, can we get a cell phone? You know, and I'm like, yeah. you can get a cell phone when you're the age mom and I were when we got our first cell phone, which was the age 22, all right? So, uh, and maybe you had someone do this in your life where they start, they, they start affirming you. And at some point it's like, man, like, are you, are you asking for something? And maybe this is what Paul's doing, maybe it's not. And I don't think Paul's just like blowing smoke. He's not just making stuff up about Philemon, but he praises him for his faith that is on display. Paul's thanking Philemon because the faith that, is, that he's living out in his life is a faith that 
Like there's a reputation that goes with Philemon. Paul speaks specifically. I hope you saw this. If not, look in your Bible. He says, I want to praise you and affirm you for your love for all of God's saints, all of God's people. And that's a big statement because in Philemon's church, there were men and women. There were rich and poor. There were masters and there were slaves. And Paul is thanking him for having a love for all of God's people. All of them, not just some of them, all of them. And then Paul ends this section. What he says is that he wanted to affirm that Philemon's life, his faith is refreshing the hearts of the Lord's people. Like he's not, he's not offering up or he's not teaching some message to the church that's putting a load on them that they cannot carry. He is giving them something that is refreshing. But there's something else about Philemon. He's a slave owner. All right, now the way slavery worked in the first century, there's some similarities of the way slavery worked in America for a while, where there was a tearing down of dignity and a ripping apart of families. And I mean, the, the phrase they would use in the first century was, I mean, you're living property. It's what you were. But there were some differences too. In the first century, slavery was not about a skin color or being a part of a certain ethnic group. Anyone could become a slave. Maybe you were born into a family and all of them were slaves, which meant you were born as a slave. Or if you had a lot of outstanding debt, you could become a slave or you would become living property. And Philemon was a master. He was a slave owner. Now, I believe even in America, I believe there were some slave owners who were working out the best they, they could do. I, I think there were those who tried to treat their slaves well. And, and we know there were those who ended up being a voice for them to become free and and maybe Philemon was that kind of slave owner. Maybe he was a master who, who cared deeply about his slaves. And, and this started messing with the church. Because a lot of times, like dads, the, the man of the household would make decisions for the entire family. So if he was going to become a Christian, all the, the family came with him. So when they started baptizing women and, and, and the children in the household, and, which we don't know how old they were, but we assume that believer baptism was happening. But then slaves start getting baptized. And the church had to wrestle 2,000 years ago with what does this mean for the church? And Paul, even though he never went after the system of slavery as we know it, Paul was messing with the church and how they thought about masters and slaves and how people are treated in the image of God because Paul wanted people to know that you cannot treat someone like a brother or sister on Sundays in worship service and then treat them like a slave Monday through Saturday. Right? We can't treat people like brothers and sisters on Sundays when we come in this room and then treat each other like enemies or anything less than brothers and sisters Monday through Saturday. So Paul talks to Philemon. And here's what he says in verse 8. Here's the ask. Here's what he's asking of him. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and I could order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner, he says it again, of Christ Jesus that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I wonder when Philemon got to this part in the letter if he was like, that's why Paul's writing me. There's this relationship that Paul's addressing between me and Winesimus. Here's what you need to know about Winesimus. He was a slave. And not only was he a slave, he was a slave who had done something wrong to his master. We don't know what it is. Does this ever bug you about scripture sometimes? You wish there was a footnote? a little description, 
We don't know what he did. We assume it probably wasn't murder or something like that because he probably would have been killed, but some people think he stole something. Somehow he is sent or he goes to Paul. Now, it's possible that Philemon sent Onesimus to Paul, even though Onesimus had done something wrong to the master. It's possible that he's a runaway slave. If he's a runaway slave, we got a big problem because if he's caught, there could be capital punishment. He could die. Or his only other option is to try to seek asylum at a temple and hope he goes to a temple, knocks on the door, and there's a priest who's in a good mood who can help find him another master. But being a runaway slave wasn't good. He comes into the presence of Paul, and Paul, after being with him, Paul wins him to Jesus. Because Paul didn't care who was in his presence. If it was a Jew or Gentile, a rich person, a poor person, a, it didn't matter. Paul was going to speak to them and declare the goodness of Jesus. When Onesimus becomes a Christian, most likely when he is with, is with Paul, Paul describes Onesimus as his own son. Of all the ways he could describe him in this letter, it's not as a slave. It's not as a slave to Philemon. It's, hey, this is my son. How we identify people, it matters, right? Because often the label you put on someone, especially publicly, can become the label that that person lives into. And here he is saying, this is my son. He's not a slave. He's, he's an image bearer of God. He's a recent convert. And here's the big one. The name Onesimus means useful. Did you know that? Some of you are like, yeah, of course I do that. Yeah, man, yeah, of course. It means useful. I don't know if that was a name that when this is mis his parents gave him when he was born or when he became a slave, maybe it was a, a name change that they called him Onesimus. I just know his name's Onesimus, and now Paul is sending him back to his master Philemon. And Paul has totally changed what his name is supposed to be because Paul knows how this goes. Paul needs Winesimus. He wants him to stay with him, but he knows how the law goes. Paul can't do that. He can't do that by law. He can't just send a letter to Philemon and say, hey, he's not coming back. That's not how it works. So he sends Winesimus back to Philemon. And now what the, the message Paul sent to Philemon is, you have thought for years that he is useful as a slave to you, but now I need you to know that this man could be useful as an ambassador of the kingdom, as a co-laborer with me. We need to change how we think about him being useful. And it's no longer about being living property or doing things for you. It is unleashing him for the sake of the kingdom. And I think there's some of you in here. You come in here every Sunday, or maybe you're in here today. And you are struggling to believe that you are useful in the kingdom of God. You struggle, some of you struggle to believe you're useful in the kingdom because some of you struggle believing you can be saved by God because some of the things you have done. And I say this almost every week, God wants to use everything God saves. And here, some of you, you may be struggling believing that you're useful because maybe you know how many partners you've been with and why would there be a God who would use you because of the, some of the things you've done? Why would there be a God who would use some of you because you've had abortions, you've had addictions, you've, you've done things that you know are counter to who God wants you to be. You have secret sin that has been in your life for years. Why would God ever use you? Some of you are neck deep, either in debt or trying to take care of your family. You're staring at bills. You don't know how you're going to pay them. So how can there be a God who would use you when you're struggling just to make men's eat every single day? Some of you are struggling to believe you're useful because your prayer life has been reduced to something you do with your family 
family before a meal. Your Bible study life has been reduced to something you pick up when you come into church. So maybe what you need today is to know that God, because God sees you as useful, this would serve as an ignition, something to ignite your heart, to crave God more than ever before. Some of you just need to know that where you are, no matter where you've been, God sees you as someone he wants to use for his kingdom. His name's Onesimus, and it means useful. So Paul writes to Philemon, and here's what he says in verse 12. I'm sending him, who is my own heart. I'm sending him back to you, and I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but it would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. How about that? Most people think Paul is the one who left Philemon to Jesus. You owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. In a nutshell, I think Paul is saying, I know you'll do the right thing, right? You ever have your parents do that to you? Like, I know, I know you're going to do the right thing. I know you know what's right. Paul's asking Philemon to give up the rights of Onesimus being his slave. That's a big ask. He's asking for a lot. He's not just asking for Philemon to see Onesimus as a free person in Jesus. He's asking him to relinquish the rights and then to send Onesimus back to Paul so that Onesimus can be this co-laborer and this partner with Paul as the good news of Jesus spreads all over the world. I want you to think about this. Paul writes the letter, signs it with his hands, rolls up the letter and hands it to Onesimus to carry back to Philemon. And I wonder if Onesimus knew what was in the letter he was holding. And then he hands it to Philemon at church. And I bet the church was excited. Like, hey, we got mail, all right? We need to read what Paul says. And then they start reading. And and then Philemon gets to verse 10, and he's like, oh, I think I want to read this by myself before I read this in front of the entire church. Remember, Paul did address this, not just to Philemon, but to the entire church. So the whole church is hearing what Paul is saying to him. This is a book in which Paul doesn't do a lot of theology. He's not, he's not pushing against any form of Gnosticism or deism or false teaching. He's not even talking about like church behavior much. But it ends up in our Bible. And the way the Bible was put together is God worked through the church a couple of hundred years after Jesus died and arose into the heavens. God used the church to put the New Testament together. And God used the church to affirm that this is a book that needs to be in the Bible, that Christians need to know about what it is to live in a way that we are setting people free in every kind of way for the good of the gospel. Christians, for 2,000 years, when we have been at our best, 
we have led the way in setting the world right. When we've been at our best, we are the ones who are crying out that let freedom ring for the Christian is in this pursuit of everything God wants. So what happened to Onesimus? Now, this was a name that there, there were a few Onesimuses walking around the world back in the first century. If there was one today, he would be the only one, I'm pretty sure, right? There's a Onesimus who died around AD 70, died for the sake of the gospel. Some people think that was this Onesimus. But most people think that this Onesimus was someone else. If he was a teenager around this time when Paul encountered him, it would have meant that around the turn of the century, so move into the second century, Onesimus would have been 60, maybe 70 years old. And there's a church leader named Ignatius of Antioch who wrote a letter to the churches in Ephesus. And this would have been, the church in Ephesus would have been around for 40, maybe 50 years, and it was exploding. And Ignatius of Antioch, wrote a letter to the churches of Ephesus, and in that letter, he addressed the bishop, the pastor, the one who was leading all the churches of Ephesus, a church that had grown to that point, maybe up to 40,000 people. And guess who the leader was? Onesimus. And many people think that is the one that Paul asked for his freedom to come and sit under his teaching, to partner with him in the gospel. And now he became this great church leader who is setting people free all over the place. It's amazing what God can do, right? So if God were to ask you today, where do you need freedom in your life for you today? Would it be for your own release from some form of bondage? Or would that word of freedom come upon you for you to extend it to someone else? Can you think of someone in your life who needs you to say, you are useful. You matter. God wants to use you. It doesn't matter where you've been. God's doing something in your life for the good of his kingdom. So we're going to sing a couple of songs. And if the elders and prayer leaders, if you'll go ahead and go to your places to receive people today. And we're going to, I think we're going to sing three songs. And in these songs, I want you to feel freedom at your pace to make your way to one of the tables. And fill in that question or speaking to some kind of word. God is speaking over you when it comes to freedom, how you need to be set free or how God wants to use you to set someone else free. You can leave your name on that. You can leave it blank. As leaders, we take these very seriously. We take them into our meetings. We pray over them. We scan them so every elder in the church can be praying over these. And if there's someone you want to go to for prayer, you can see Rick and Leslie in the back. We have elders in the back, elders up front, and we invite you to go and find one of them for prayer. Can we stand together and let's sing a few songs?